BSing with Sean K. I am your host, Sean Neese. The K is silent. And on this show, I talk with people who are living outside the box and pursuing their creative and intellectual passions. And boy, oh boy, do I have an interesting guest for you guys today. Um, For this episode, I'm going to play you a conversation I had with Alan Tafoya who is an actor, a musician. Well, he, he does a lot of stuff, so I'm, I'm going to... I was actually unsure how to narrow this down. He is a full-blooded Chikoria Apache. He comes from the Chikoria Apache Reservation in New Mexico, in Dulce, New Mexico. And that on his reservation, he saw a UFO, and he's been interviewed on different television programs about that and he talks about that in the interview he's an actor so some of the most noted things he was on was deadliest warrior he was on the special apache versus gladiator uh so he's appeared in television and film including the tv series comanche moon as pita nakoma and the tracker in the series Special Ops Mission as well. And on the on the Gladiator versus Apache he played himself. And he's also had roles in the films MacGruber, Inc., A Tale of Captivity, and he was in the movie The Mexican. And he was also featured alongside fellow Apache actor Sam Bearpaw in the 2015 Western film Western Religion. He played the lead of Sitting Bull in the 2016 to 2017 touring stage musical Sitting Bull's Last Waltz. And the Lincoln Journal star wrote that the musical accurately recounts the story of Sitting Bull, who's played with dignity and Lou Reed sounding vocals by Apache actor Alan Tafoya. And uh, R.I.P. Lou Reed, by the way. Um... And music is another passion of his. He's a singer-songwriter, and he plays guitar. And he's also a martial artist. And we didn't talk much about that in the interview. Because, you know, it's an hour-long show. There, I'll probably have him back at some point to talk about. Because he's, he's done a lot of stuff. So, <laughs> um, there's just, like, a lot to get into. But... For this interview, a, a good amount of the time we talk about Bigfoot and UFOs and his ideas about that because he grew the reservation he grew up with has be, kind of become a site for people who are um, UFO enthusiasts because of the UFO that was seen there, the big that he saw and his um, and his family saw, and so did the people, and that's become like a famous sighting. So people come there looking for the base and everything. And anyway, without further delay, here is the conversation. I hope you enjoy. Hey, man, that's a pretty flashy background there. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I've been liking doing the interviews with this. It kind of gives it. It almost feels kind of like like a studio vibe in a way. Like even though it's like a Zoom background. Yeah. Yeah, but we uh, we met because uh, one of my friends acted in a film, and then the filmmaker of that film had a birthday party, and you were friends with the filmmaker, and then we talked about doing the podcast. Then I think that was like 2019. It's 2021 now. We, we were talking about doing this interview for a while. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of cases like that where we, we talk about it for a while. Then a few years later, we do it. So. Yeah, well, you know, the COVID really knocked everything out of the water too, man. I mean, it just yeah. sucks big time. I'm not happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, media and uh, our field, like, because you, you do acting too, and uh, you're a musician. I, I do some music on the side. I've been pursuing, like, acting and broadcasting more seriously but um like and like so we're, there hasn't been as much work with acting or oh god yeah. it's been horrible it has been horrible i'm just <sighs> yeah and, and you're sag right so like you said yeah. like there's, le there's less stuff for sag like i've been getting some non-union uh voice acting work and stuff like that but mainly i've been like some of it wasn't for pay it was mainly just to kind of get the experience and like voice different characters because that's something i really want to get into because it's kind of neat especially for like a situation like covid where you could just like record from home and do different like characters and everything yeah well i've had some friends in la that are involved in the voice acting stuff for video games or even movies you know yeah and they tell me Ish. damn you can make just as much or more money than the actors that are actually on set and you don't have to put up with the wear and tear, you know, because you're just sitting there with a the mic and you're getting into the character and you're building the voices and stuff, you know. So if I were you, man, I'd, I'd, I'd stay where you're at right now. Yeah, that's a... <laughs> and don't get into SAG until you have to. I mean, I, I tell everyone that I know that I have lost so many gigs because I'm SAG. Yeah, I mean, only if I were like really established i do it I, I think the the good thing about sag for me is it's like it's sag after so it's like in com it incorporates radio and acting but yeah either either way i'd want to be like more established yeah because like in the meantime there's a lot of non-union work yeah that well like, that was when sag and aftra got together was when that whole thing opened you know because um sag you know tv and radio and all yeah. that you know and I yeah. think with radio, there's a lot of non-union work too, right? Like I, th I think that the 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 union work for radio is more like the the major, just the major networks. Oh, I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure. I don't. Yeah. I, I I I you know I actually used to be a DJ. Oh really? Yeah, on the in Dulce, New Mexico, the Hickory Apache tribe has has their own radio station, and so. It was fun. I, I, I enjoyed doing a lot of work on the radio. It was fun. Building nice. an audience and, you know. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I did it a bit with college. And then I was with, uh, this show was with Radio Free Brooklyn for a while. But then I went back to doing the independent. Because it was, uh, I, I mean, I was doing it all pre-recorded anyway. So it was just easier to kind of do it, like, on my own uh, schedule. But it was it was a good experience while I was there and everything. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of want to been looking into some gigs like that too still like just djing and stuff like seems like uh yeah what's well, always easier when you're a freelancer you know because you kind of can make your schedule and you can call your own shots you know yeah yeah definitely yeah yeah <laughs>
but uh so so the so what what kind of music are you influenced by mostly because you said you were a dj is it do you play the kind of music you were like playing as a dj like rock and um... well i was pretty fortunate as far as music is concerned because you know my 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 parents my mom and my dad they they listened to a wide variety you know and we're talking like 60s and 70s so my dad listened to mostly back then it was called country and western mm-hmm. and that was when you had like merle haggard johnny cash buck owens um johnny rodriguez you know marty robbins i mean just that whole icon loretta lynn dolly pardon you know um and and then he listened to stuff like herb albert and the tijuana brass so I think that my dad really gave his children, you know, a, a good variety of musical education. And then on top of that, you add, you know, the cultural music, like the, you know, the Hickory Apache stuff, like what, what they sing at the ceremonies or, you know, those kinds of things, the powwows, you know, I used to, my brother and I, we used to dance in the powwows. That's Avery, Avery Tafoya, the guy, my brother, the one that I was wanting do the inter- co-interview with you know oh yeah 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 you originally wanted this to be an interview with you and your brother and i guess he was the one that was going to talk more about ufos right well he was going to talk he can talk more about like the like the contact you know yeah. Con- you know the 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 third kind you know oh, okay but but you have like an interest in ufos too or? I, well I, I when i did the show um that uh what was that uh, hangar one season two episode i think it might have been one or two but it's called um um oh god i'm just like <laughs> trying to think um but they had an episode that just dealt with the native americans viewpoint and experiences with the ufos and it was called star people and, okay. uh, and and it was really interesting because i mean i'm hickory apache but then they did segments with other natives like from seattle washington or in the Mm. washington area you know all over the place and it's very fascinating when you look at what other native tribes believe you know and a lot of a lot of uh like when it comes to like star people and stuff you know a lot of people take an interest with regard to the hopi tribe in arizona you know and um so it was really interesting for me. I didn't get to see all of that. I filmed my segments. And when you work on TV and they interview you, whatever you work on TV, you really don't know what's going to make the cut, you know? Yeah, because are you talking, you on NBC, uh, NBC4 too, I saw. Like I saw yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Or? Um, well, what I'm talking about is when the, the, um, the, star people segment on on um hanger, okay. the hangar one that that was when i got to recall when i saw this huge cigar shaped ufo on on the west side of our reservation i mean the whole literally the whole town saw that yeah my, my dad was the chief of police uh my cousin his name is reynard his name his real name is reynard valdez but mm. he changed his last name to faber yeah. So, like, what went what went through uh, your head when you saw that, like, the huge UFO? Was it like, Whoa. was it scary? Was it like kind of scary? <laughs> like, are they gonna abduct us and like experiment, or was it just kind of wow, this is neat? Or... <laughs> uh, well, 
from my father's house to the point where we saw it, the mountain, that, that, that's about a mile and a half from my father's house and it's on the outskirts of town. Back then in the 80s, the houses weren't built going way out there. And I'm pretty sure that the road was not, um, they didn't blacktop the road. It was still a dirt road. So, you know, you, you had to have a truck or you had to know how to handle yeah. your car really well. But I just remember that my cousin, Reynard Faber, he's, a, he's an itinerant preacher now. Um, we were coming home from uh, an, an evening of fun and games with our friends up the road. And I was watching like, to, to, as we're walking south toward my father's house, I was watching this orange like bulb hmm. on, on the left side. And he was looking to the right toward our grandma's house. Her name is Henrietta Tafoya. And her house is like right at the base of this big, you know, steep cliff. Oh. So the UFO is sitting right there, like a mile and a half over the town. So I'm like, dude, check this out, right? And he's <laughs> like, yeah, oh my God, it's so huge. And I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? I'm just watching this. Or He's like, no, look toward grandma Henrietta's house. And I look over there and we were, I was like, wow. I mean, you know, it was just yeah. like, so it was, it was like wow. pretty close to, it was like pretty close to you too, or? No, it was like a mile and a half away up yeah. in the sky above the yeah. cliff. In, in orange, and but it looked kind of like, did it, it look kind of like the stereotypical, like what you see? Like I was uh, looking at the way. orange ball to, to the left. He was looking at this huge cigar-shaped UFO to the like right. Space, like spacecraft, more looking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like a, yeah. I mean, his UFO blew my UFO away. Yeah. Oh, me. so you were you were too distracted by so that whatever the I was watching. Thing. Yeah. I was watching. Okay. An, I was watching yeah. an orange bulb bouncing in the sky, hmm. thinking like, "Wow, I'm seeing something great." Yeah. <laughs> and he's over here going like look at grandma yeah. toward gra grandma henrietta's house right so i look and when i saw it it was just like this okay i'm going to show you it was like a huge cigar shaped ufo and in the middle were multicolored lights spinning they got it wrong on the show they actually made the the, the spacecraft look like a cigar you know uh -huh. like if you got a cigar and you clip the edges and just hung it on a string when i said a cigar shaped ufo i didn't mean most of the time when people there. You look at a disc and then it's kind of long. They'll call it cigar shaped, but it was a disc and the multicolored lights were spinning. Hmm. Now, if you go to like, uh, if you go to like an airport or something, right, they have those killer spotlights that you can just see in the sky for miles. I have to say that the lights off that UFOs were much brighter, way brighter. And of course, when we saw it, I'm like, you know, can I say what I said when I was there because I was just like wow son of a bitch right so uh, I start running and he's like what are you doing and you know my dad was the chief of police and I'm like I'm gonna go tell my dad I'm gonna tell my dad <laughs> and I'm just hauling ass toward the house and he's the runner this guy runs like 26 miles so I'm running and we're running and I go to my dad's house and he was a big wrestling fan so okay. he's watching wrestling that's his sacred time <laughs> right we do not disturb him at this time i run to his house and i'm banging on his door and he gets up and he's like damn it what the hell you know who's banging on my door and i'm like screaming dad 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 you gotta see this hurry up before it's gone and he's he opens the door i'm watching my wrestling i was kind of hysterical all i could do was just go dad and point to the west just like to the west, it would be that way. So I point to the west 
And he looks and he was like, son of a bitch, right? <laughs> Which kind of seemed to be the word at the time, right? Um, so um, he's like, wow. And I, I really couldn't say anything. I was just blown away. Like there was no fear of like, they're going to take us away. But I just wanted him to see it so nobody yeah. could say like I was like, you know, dreaming or you know yeah. telling a lie or something if the chief sees it that's that right the buck stops there yeah so he's he surprised me he went inside he's i'm like dad dad what are you doing he's like he grabbed his police radio and right in front of my cousin and i he calls to the police dosi dispatch and just gives an all-out call all the units police game and fish Looked toward Henrietta Tapoya's house. And, you know, like this is a small town. So you have to say at least 70% of the people have police scanners. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of that mentality. And so, like, I'm pretty damn sure that everybody that had a scanner, when they heard the chief of police go, look toward Henrietta's house, there's an unidentified flying object. I mean, <laughs> You know, everyone freaked out. I could hear like all the transmissions going on, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, it's that kind of a thing where like my cousin becomes an itinerant preacher when we grow up and then my dad's the chief of police. So who could say that Alan Tafoya made this up? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so he's kind of, I guess, is he, is he at those like UFO conventions and things <laughs> like that? Does he speak there? Um, no, well, my brother, Avery Tafoya, who, who had the close encounter of the third kind, yeah. he ended up being the MC for the Dulce Base <clears throat> UFO Bigfoot Conference. Okay. I, I did it for the first two years, but I felt kind of weird because, I mean, even for me, some of the stuff that these UFO people write in their claims, some of it's still far-fetched hmm. you know i'm not then, saying, it, then it gets into like more i guess conspiracy kind of yeah, stuff too but I'm, yeah yeah I'm but not, also also uh but uh, but my thing though you said bigfoot and ufo i feel like bigfoot ufo are kind of like i mean i know they're both like rare sightings but they're kind of in different spectrums like one's a big hairy ape and one's like a flying saucer like i just feel like they're two totally different fields of study like i don't, I don't see how they'd over <clears throat> lap too much <laughs> well to me it's i have like when i was in sixth grade my brother my big brother arden he had this book about bigfoot it was something like the the bigfoot of the northwest or something right and um i was the kid brother that saw something of his that was interesting so i snagged it and looked at it and then finally i said can i read your book <laughs> <laughs> so i read the book and it was interesting because there were stories where when people had these UFO encounters, there was a Bigfoot encounter too. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I, yeah that's interesting. I never, I yeah. never knew about like how they tied yeah. together. So but to I, me, in my mind already at that time, it was already hand in hand because I read many hmm. accounts. But yeah. like I said, I'm not as lucky as my brother Avery, where like first of all, when he's a little boy, he has this close encounter of the third kind. We become, we grow up to become men, and then he sees a Bigfoot, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, so. Yeah, did, did he saw it, like, close up, the, the Bigfoot, or was it? Well, the way it was is that he's at a campground right here, and then there's a river, and then there's a cliff, like a straight-up cliff like this, right? At the top of the cliff, that Bigfoot was looking down at him. And when he snapped, it, it wasn't like he saw the Bigfoot. He, 
they actually had like a pretty uh, freaky Bigfoot encounter that night. Like a group of hickorias were out there having uh, a picnic or something. And then they started hearing like maybe some cries or something. And then like some of the ones that are up on the Bigfoot thing, like when they think they hear something, they'll start wrapping the trees or they'll start calling out, you know, to yeah. see if they get a response and they got a response. And I kind of think it was like a, one of those real intense encounters where everybody just says the hell with this crap, jump in the car <laughs> and it's out of here. You know? yeah. So wait, what's your, what's, so what's your theory of how UFOs and Bigfoot's tidy? Cause I'm interested in like how, like, like is it, that's an interesting idea. I'm just trying to think like how they would tie together. Like Bigfoot is, is it a bunch of Bigfoots in the UFO? That would be kind of interesting. Well, <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but my background, you know, wasn't like being an actor. I'm not one of these people that was like eight years old going like, I'm going to grow up and be an actor and go to acting yeah, school. Yeah. Personally, I had no damn clue. Okay. But um, my background is an investigator. So I investigate. And... The one thing that I will say right off the bat when you were saying what do they have in common, the first thing that hit my investigative mind is it appears to me, this is my humble opinion, that the Bigfoots and the UFOs, I believe that they're interdimensional, that they move through the dimensions. So you can see them and they can maybe take on a physical appearance, but they're only going to take on that physical appearance for as long as they can or until they achieve what they want to achieve. And then they're gone. Because they're, I know there's claims like that they got the alien bodies from Roswell. I live in New Mexico, you know, and then they had like another UFO crash supposedly in Aztec, New Mexico, which is about an hour and a half away from our reservation. But the thing is that, as far as I know, I personally have never seen a body. Then, you know, you see some of these videos and stuff. And to me, they just look so hokey, you know? Yeah. I, that's just my opinion. I'm not calling anybody <laughs> a liar, but uh, I'm an investigator. I've had to take pictures and film and stuff. So I have an idea of what something looks like that's real. So, yeah. And maybe they choose, like, wide open spaces because there's less... Uh, maybe they're afraid to go into, like, a more crowded space where i don't know people will react or they, they might get some kind of like be attacked or something like that or I well, don't know. it's kind of interesting to me that you know when you talk about bigfoot you'll hear that they're like the little ones are like three feet tall and then you hear like some of the adults are like 12 feet tall i've heard stories where they're as tall as 12 feet tall now how in the hell do human beings yeah. Miss a 12 foot hairy being <laughs> that's probably, I'm going to say, like five feet wide if he's 12 feet tall. And I've had friends that have personally seen them, and the ones that they saw were like seven feet yeah. tall. There was only one uh, really good, clear picture of Bigfoot. It was the uh, the Patterson footage, and I think it's still like never been debunked. That That's the, that's the one picture of Bigfoot I saw that looked like really real that's like the famous one where he's like why i think it was a film and then he's he's walking very slow and like people have tried to debunk it and everything and nobody was able to yeah i mean to me like a lot of the a lot of the encounters that people have with the 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 bigfoots or the ufos the one thing that i've like heard a lot 
is that one second they're there and the next second they're gone, you know? Or they say like, it's almost like the predator, you know, that movie predator where the predator is yeah. like a chameleon. He almost like can just come out of a tree or something. Mm -hmm. That's the way it's described with the Bigfoots. And I know a lot of people that have had some really terrifying encounters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, <clears throat> and as far as I know, they haven't found a Bigfoot body, but I have heard some stories where they have, and then and some of them, the military came and took them away, but I wasn't there. So I can't tell you like, dude, I saw that man, you know? <laughs> um, but like, uh, I've heard stories from the, Hic from the Hickory elders where they actually did find like a Bigfoot body, but they just went and either buried it or placed it somewhere. And then I guess their own kind or whatever took the body away, so. But the descriptions that they gave me, I mean, these are older people. So they're trying, they're, 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 they're Hickorya people that their first language is Hickorya Apache. So they're kind of struggling to find the right English words to describe <laughs> what they saw. But being an interviewer of people for over 20 years, I think I have a pretty good idea of when someone's really genuine, you know? So... Yeah. Um, or if it's, so you can spot like a hoax right away. Yeah, you, you, you know, it's true. Like a lot of investigations, a lot of the investigators, you know how they say, oh, I got a hunch or I just, <laughs> you know, but that's the way a lot of things start is you just feel like something's not right here, you know, mm. and you don't know, but that's why you're an investigator because you have to investigate it. Then things start coming to light, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I was just thinking about ghosts because I've I've had some experiences with uh, ghosts or things that I thought were ghosts, and I was just when you were talking about interdimensional the beans, I was just thinking if there's any kind of scientific explanation for that. Maybe when someone dies in a tragic way or something like that, there's there's kind of an energy left behind, and then that energy kind of like can go through like different dimensions, and I don't know. That was just an idea I had about that. You know, it's kind of interesting now that as we're in this age of amazing technology and you know they have like all these um i'm trying to think um the drones right they have drones you can yeah. go out and buy a drone now <laughs> but i just kind of wonder like if you have all these ufos and all these bigfoots and all these loch ness monster creatures or all these interesting things and you have drones just flying around, you would think that someone would have captured something by now, you yeah. know? I guess they'd rather just drone civilians or something <laughs> like that yeah, in, in Pakistan or Libya. Or yeah, so it's just kind of interesting. But I was just thinking about this, not just because we're having this interview, but I just have time to really ponder on a lot of stories and stuff where people will tell me stuff and I sit there and my investigative mind is rolling and I just sit there and think um, the way, the way, like if you look at like uh, American Indian folklore, like say the Hopis, when they talk about the Kachinas, they call them star people. They say they come from the sky and then they make these amazing intricate carvings you know of the kachinas hmm. but it's like 
this is a group of people that's trying to find a way to describe something that that uh, you would think that modern technology would be able to decipher those things and they're beginning to. So I'm beginning to find that a lot of American Indian folklore, even indigenous folklore that we would listen to someone tell a story like, like say as far back as 20 years ago, and we, I'd, I'd be like, dude, I don't know what you're smoking, but can you leave some for me? You know, um, you just kind of have these feelings like, you know, you better take your medication or something, right? But as I start looking at these descriptions of like the alien encounters and the UFO things and the Bigfoot things, and then I start kind of comparing that to the legends of the American Indian. I mean, I'm kind of thinking like there is something to all of that. You know what I mean? Because, you know, people want to just kind of get something and put it in a box, you know, and a good example of that, that kind of sickens me is religion, right? Like you get yeah. some religious text and everybody's just going to follow that because that's the be all end all. And it just tells you, but it really isn't because yeah. as, you, as you start to explore even the origins of those things, it's just like this amazing, not a fairy tale, but a story, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting how, like, and then the later religions, and that you go back and you look at the older religions, there's stuff that ties in. Like, I think even, like, Zarathustra and, like, Jesus have, like, certain similarities. Like, I mean, I mean I'm not, like, an expert on Zoroastrianism, but from what I understand, because I know that was, like, the first monotheistic religion. And then also, like, if you're following one thing rigidly, there's, um, like, there's was another group of people following something else for thousands of years. So like, how do you know that your scripture is right and there's no truth in anything else? Like, yeah. just like out of all the people, you're the ones who got it right. And you're the one <clears throat> who knows like the secrets of the universe and everything, you know? Well, you know, when you, I don't know, to me, like with regard to the Hickory Apache, you know, because a lot of people, when they look at the Indians or the American Indians, a lot of people, they have this tendency to just kind of try to lump all the tribes together and think that we all do things the same <laughs> or we all talk the same language or we all have the same customs and we don't, you know, as an actor, when I've had to try to learn the Lakota language to me, Lakota is hard, like the Sioux language, Lakota, Dakota, those, those Northern tribes, man, they have some tough language and so do the Hopis, you know, yeah. And, and the Hopis, I think, was that they, they were. It was it a uh, the Hopi religion. I, I mean, I don't know a whole lot. I guess it was more like, like were they more like pacifists, like kind of. Uh, it was more like the mystical. And then I know the Comanches. It was more like uh, warrior, I guess. And I, I guess the Apaches too, right? Like. Uh, well, it's it's kind of hard for me to to really say what a Hopi does or what a Comanche does because, but I can speak for the Hickorias. And usually, when I talk to people in the business, when they try to talk about such things, you know, I always tell them, I can speak about things of the Hickoria, but I can't speak about the things of the Lakota or the Cheyenne or, you know, the Hopi, you know what I mean? Although my son is married to a, a Hopi Navajo woman and they've just been really good to me. I appreciate those people. But the thing that I look at is like, you know, the Hopis have their own language, the Hickorias have their own language, but 
And then you look at something like, it doesn't just have to be a Bible, but a lot of the more ancient um, writings of, of the encounters. I mean, how does a person from the Middle East way back, like say BC or AD, how, or, or even an Apache, how do they find a way to describe like a vision of an atom bomb? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes some people will say, well, it looks like somebody's just rolling up a scroll after it blows up. And that's really the way it looks, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but at the same time, like I used to talk to my uncle a lot before he passed on and he fought in, in the different wars. And he used to share with us that the Hickory Apaches had visions of the future. And he said, they would try to describe what a TV was. You know what I mean? We know what a TV is. We know what a computer is, like a screen and everything. But how does a Hickorya man born in 1920 describe an atom bomb or describe a plane or describe like a car? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so if that's the point in case with the with my ancient Hickorya people, then how did the people back in any place else find the words to describe it you know it's hard to describe that phenomenon with the language that you have one word in the hickoria language can mean five different things just by the way you pronounce it so yeah yeah because when i work with when i work with movie people and i always get a <laughs> kick out of it right yeah. well can you um help us to write our script and can you say that the giant monster spider is coming over the mountain and into the city you know and i'm like there's no hickory terminology for some of these things so it's just kind of going to become descriptive you know they they think that for wording there's a tit for tat situation there's not you know hmm. so i think when you look at all these writings and stuff i think you have to kind of keep that in mind that how do they describe an airplane you know how do how do they describe a motorized um, skateboard you know yeah so so you're saying like a lot of the when, when you look back like in a lot of the predictions and stuff you can see them kind of predicting the the modern world and stuff that was happening now like in present times oh yeah like recent, yeah absolutely because even like in the hickory language um if we see a black man, you know, there's, you know, there's so much racial stuff going on. And that's what's so weird to me. I, I, I surprise a lot of people when I go out, you know, because they'll be using racial, they'll talk about racial slurs that they use on people. And I'll be like, what's that? And they're just so surprised. You don't know. And I say, well, you know, I grew up on my reservation. And if we saw a black man, we call them Tlajina, mm -hmm. which is basically just a description. Tlajina means black. So we're just calling him what we see, a black man, you know. Mm -hmm. um, there's different words to describe different people, but it's a descriptive language. So, yeah. you know. But, but the, do the, so do the, so the tribes, um, they don't really do much like uh, of like learning the other tribes languages too much. Oh like, yeah. You know, or... 
I'm sure they do, you know, because there's a lot of intermarriage now between the tribes, which I think probably at some point, which may have been discouraged. I mean, um, one of the guys that I started to study because I grew a fascination with him was Mangus Coloradus, who was kind of like Geronimo's right-hand man. According to some of the stories that I've heard, and I'm not saying like this is the total gospel truth, but some people say that there would be no Geronimo if Mangus Coloradus hadn't introduced him and, you know, convinced them that this guy is a very special individual, you know. So um, uh, Mangus got in trouble with his own tribe because he, 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 he hooked up with a, a Mexican woman, you know. Of course, we didn't call them Mexicans. We have our own word for like kind of the Latino people you know yeah but you know inter, um, intermarriages were maybe frowned frowned on but now it's just commonplace you know so i mean i'm learning stuff all the time from my wife she's jewish german so we <laughs> learn things from each other all the time or when they talk i'll look at her and say what did you say or what was that you know and yeah. she'll explain it to me so yeah i'm technically Jewish German. Well, it's more like my dad's side's German and my mom says Russian Jewish. So I guess for me it's like German Jewish, like split. Yeah. But <laughs> well, there's so much interbreeding because you know she has other bloodlines. I've never taken a DNA test or anything, but then you know, I've according to tribal records, I'm a full blood Hickorya Apache. Both my parents are full blood Hickorya. But beyond their lifetimes, if you go back, what happened to their family? You know, there's no way to trace that, you know? It's kind of, I would like to know more of my lineage, but our records only go back so far. So Yeah. So so what was it like? Uh, so, so the name of the, you said Dulce was like the, is that what you said the area was where you grew up? And was that close to like Albuquerque? When I think of uh, New Mexico, I was thinking of Breaking Bad. So I was thinking like Albuquerque, like, <laughs> But was it like anywhere near there? What was it? Um, Dulce, I'm going to say, is about maybe two and a half hours north of Albuquerque. And I would say two and a half hours because it depends on how fast you drive. Some people got a lead foot and they can do it like in two hours. <laughs> um, I like to drive comfortable. So and I, I'll stop and grab a drink or something to eat or something, you know, keep it comfortable and not get a speeding ticket. So right. <laughs> <clears throat> it'll take me about. I say two and a half hours from Dulce to 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 go down south to Albuquerque. So yeah. Dulce is like 13 miles below the Colorado border. And then I don't know if you're aware of this, but then they people in the UFO realm talk about the Dulce UFO base and all of that stuff, you know. Yeah. Oh, so your, your story is, I guess, is kind of a famous story in the <laughs> UFO world then, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. We... You know, I worked as a I worked as a investigator for over 20 years and you know a, um, a good chunk of it was on my reservation. And we've had people come from all over the world from all walks of life coming to Dulce looking for that UFO base. And they've even like tried to interrogate people or they even tried to interrogate my dad, the late chief Raleigh Tafoya who was big in stature. Like when the chief walks into the room, everybody knows the chief's in the room. That's the kind of respect my father had. 
So when you have these people coming in and trying to say that we're lying about this stuff and we're covering up <laughs> for it, I just have to laugh because <clears throat> where they say the UFO base is and stuff, I mean, and, and just in that general area, I used to ride my motorbike, you know, my, my, my motocross motorcycle. I've ridden through those mountains by myself. I've camped out there with my friends. I've never seen any Bigfoots, but we've heard the folklore since we were kids about, they used to just call them the hairy man. And, and um, never saw no UFOs, never saw no ghost. I'm glad we didn't see no hairy men or Bigfoot. I mean, we probably <laughs> would have just freaked out, you know? So, um, but we were right below the supposed Dulce UFO base, you know? I have a tendency to think that that's, that the UFO base, if there's a base, and they say it's kind of like a UFO military co-op kind of thing. I think that if that happened, I think that it's not on our reservation. I think it's kind of like more to the Northeast, like going toward Pagosa, Colorado. So do you ever talk about anything UFO related in your music or nothing? <clears throat> no, not really. Um, I, you've heard of Steve Vai, right? The guitar I've player? I've heard that, I heard, yeah. 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 Anyway, he's kind of on his first album. He's got this song called Little Green Men. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's cool that Steve Vai can do something like that because it kind of fits his little thing that he built up to promote himself. Um, I don't really see myself singing any songs about <laughs> UFOs unless I get asked to write something or we're just having fun, you know. So, so the music interest that happened uh, at a young age, like with your, your parents, the music your parents was playing and uh, were there yeah. a lot of people into music where you live? You, did you grew up on it was... Because you said Dulce, but did you grow up on a reservation? Or? Yeah, Dulce is kind of like the reservation town, you know. Okay. And um, at one point, I think we had something like 88,000 acres or something like that. And then the tribe made land purchases to get some of the land that we had lost or that other people had gotten. And now I think we have over a million acres. So the township of Dulce, I'm going to say anywhere from a five to a 10 mile radius, people are putting trailers and adding on. So, but the nucleus of the town is probably about maybe a three mile thing, you know, and it's on the reservation, you know, so that's it, you know. Yeah, but there's, a, there's a lot of, do a lot of people like pursue creative passions there, like a <clears throat> I kind of have a tendency to think that in some ways that was kind of more the case because, um, you know, a lot of our backgrounds as um, hickorias, you know, there's dance involved, there's music in the ceremonies, there's dance in the ceremonies and different things. Um, I was just very lucky that my mom and my dad and my uncles and my big brother, they all listened to music. So I was just surrounded by music you know and my grandpa used to listen to like a lot of um Taos Pueblo peyote and hickoria stuff so um back then I used to be involved in a powwow club um with uh, a couple of the elders from home and so that was just kind of like that was kind of a decision for me when I was like maybe in the fifth grade or something you know you could hang with the party crowd or you could 
find something else to do for me it was just kind of more constructive and if you met my dad and if he was your father you didn't want to get in trouble too so <laughs> I, I kind of just tried to avoid the trouble because it wasn't because I was scared of anybody I was more afraid of being disciplined by my father you know yeah and and, and I know you were on uh MB, I looked up you were on NBC4 I guess talking about music like you were interviewed I think for uh Native oh, yeah. American history but yeah yeah, that was really cool. Um, I had a friend and she was, uh, she used to represent people. She's used to be a friend. I don't know whatever became of her, but they called me and said that they were having that national um, Native American month in Los Angeles. So they wanted to do an interview. So that was cool. You know, as an actor, you can never get enough press. And I, I'm not a believer that any press is good press, you know. I just think you should do your best to try to just stay in the good graces and, you know, be a grown-up about what you do, you know, rather than getting bad press because you're being an idiot or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so so what would you say to, uh, I guess, other, other uh, Native Americans uh, trying to get into acting or music? Because I, I know it's, it's, I think it's, like, it's, well, I guess there's more, people getting into it now than before because for a while it was like even with last of the mohicans that there was the main um character that was uh and then he, he was daniel day lewis played like the native american yeah character yeah. In that. yeah well i kind of have a tendency it's funny my wife and i we just watched that like maybe a couple of weeks ago um i kind of have a tendency to look at it and kind of go oh another white man portraying a native american right yeah. but then you have to look at the story and see where it's going and of course that was early in daniel day lewis's career and then of course he would just become an amazing actor you know seriously um all i gotta say is whether you're native or not acting is a pretty tough industry to break into and to be in you know and if you look at the native actors that have had success, you really, it's my opinion that you have to be there at the right place at the right time. Uh, I've been in this business since 98, I started on stage and then accidentally kind of, kind, of, kind of got into film. I mean, the whole acting thing for me was kind of an accident. I mean, I had an interest in it, but I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't really like, I'm amazed by these young kids these days. Like my wife and I, we lived in LA. So I went to acting classes and, you know, got into the industry there. Now we're in New York city. So I go to some of these acting classes and I audit a lot of classes before I make a decision to whom I want to study with. And I'm just amazed that I see kids in there like 16, 18 years old. They already know what they they already know what to do to become an actor, how, what they have to work and the, the discipline that it involves. So acting is a pretty tough business, whether you're native or not. And for obviously for the minority roles, you know, they're smaller, you know, the, 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 the pie for the non-native uh, people, the, the pies, their pies, a pretty good sized pie. And then maybe like five, to 7% is the Native American part. What has been your experience with roles? Like what kind of roles have you been picked to play? And like, what is your experience with auditions and that kind of mm -hmm. thing? 
Well, it's kind of interesting for me. First of all, when I got into acting, it it wasn't really like, um, although I had an interest an interest, I had an interest in acting. I obviously appreciated, you know, actors and movies. And but there wasn't this thing like. I wasn't like eight years old going, I want to be an actor, or I wasn't like 14 years old going, I want to be an actor, you know? And even if I wanted to become an actor, I didn't know that you had to go to school for it and all that, right? I just, I was clueless. So when I got into acting, it was kind of more of an accident. Um, I got invited to audition for something and um, I auditioned with my ex-wife and when I left my first, first, first real professional audition, I was like, those guys liked you way better than they liked me, you know? <laughs> I mean, just because they responded to her. She was a very beautiful woman um, and talented. And she had, you know, she grew up in Alexandria, Virginia. So she was exposed to the outside world and she had her, her knowledge of it. I, I went to that audition and then they called me back and they offered me a role, but I lived in Dulce, rehearsals were in Farmington, New Mexico, which is about two to two and a half hours away. I looked at the role and said, no, it's okay, it's too small and it's just not worth my time to travel out there for rehearsals for four nights a week. So that's basically like a five hour trip if it's just a straight trip, plus the rehearsal time. I turned it down they called me back and offered me a dual role. So then I said, okay, it's worth my time. And then from there, I started going to open auditions. And I was, I went to my first audition. It was called Gunfighters of the West. I didn't get picked. So I kind of just said at that time, well, I guess I'm not meant to be an actor because I was an investigator by trade. And I did like my job. I wasn't looking for an out. I love being an investigator because every week there's something new. It's never boring. And so um, I so it was just like paranormal of, investigator, right? Like you were talking about. No, before. no, no. Criminal, criminal. Oh, criminal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because So you did you, the, the, the paranormal stuff was more like on your own. You did. Oh, no. Well, you know. We're like um, a police force of like maybe 40 officers having to cover like a million acres. So, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, a million, you know, just a, a, a huge reservation. So anything, any calls that come up on the reservation, whether they're um, drunk and disorderly, a murder or a UFO or a Bigfoot, you know, we had to go out there and investigate everything, you yeah, know. And, and you had like your own... Uh courts right like on yeah 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 we have like you know that, yeah. yeah it's it, well you know um a reservation and 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 even the the indian right it's all based on federal it's all out of the federal book you know you get your definition for indian land i think it's 1151 18 usc 1151 it's been 10 years since i looked at all these statutes okay but i'm pretty sure it's you 18 usc 1151 so you have all your descriptions in there, but we have to look into everything. And we've had Bigfoot sightings, you know, right. we've, and, and they've looked into them, you know. I was never fortunate enough to actually get looked into that because I handled more serious crimes, like the violent crimes. But you didn't find it fulfilling and acting was something that I guess you... Well, I kind of felt like with the acting thing, like I said, when I did that first 
um, audition for Gunfighters of the West and it didn't happen, I just said, okay, I guess I'm not meant to be an actor. I guess I'll just go back to investigation full time. Yeah. So it was just kind of like, at least I had that cool experience of being on the stage and working with yeah. real professional actors and holding my own. I was as green as they come. Thank God that those some of the older actors took me under their wing and they gave me an education enough to get through that. And then my dad was always like, are you going to be an investigator? Or are you going to be an actor? Right. And I was like, how come I can't do both? You know, I wasn't looking to jump into acting full time because this is an investigator. I was making good money and I had all my benefits. So why would I throw that away to become an actor? Right. Yeah. Well, even, even if you land like a, a big acting role, once that show's done, like there could be, not any work for like a few years after that you know oh yeah, yeah. I mean, unless you're like leonardo dicaprio who like works all the time like yeah like like a star <laughs> like people yeah. are gonna actually make an investment on on that yeah. you know or they make their investment and then you know vice versa um i just i i just um i went to a lot of open auditions and i knew like the casting directors in new mexico back then and i, I remember i had a friend whom I haven't spoken to in years. I, I hope that she's okay with this whole COVID thing. Her name, her name is Dana He. And I remember she was like a top stunt woman in Hollywood. She won the SAG award for the best stunt on Charlie's Angels when that elevator blows up and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, she told me so many stories about. But I remember that when I met with her and I was telling her what was going on with me because we had got we met each other and she was like, I can't believe. She said, it's just unreal at how many roles you're landing on these auditions, you know? I had no clue or no bar to put it against. So I was just like, yeah, I got that one. I'm going to yeah. do this gig, right? Oh, yeah, I scored another gig, right? And I put in so much overtime as an investigator that if I needed like five days off or three days off or even two weeks off, I could just take it, you know? And yeah. And yeah and do did you ever job. want to do like a investigator role an acting role like a like a law and order kind of investigator yeah. thing? did you ever want to do a role like that or you know one of the earliest gigs that i did was um arrest and trial and it was called trackers and it was about these um coyotes or these people coming in through arizona through the border illegally so I wasn't necessarily having that in mind, but my my uh, agent in Tucson, her name was Fosse Castillo. I have no clue whether she's alive or not anymore. This was so way far back in 2000. And I auditioned for it and I got picked for it. So I actually did that show. And it was cool because for me, it wasn't really acting. I've already done work like that. So it was just like me getting in front of the camera mm. and just doing my thing and following direction, direction. Yeah. How accurate, from the, yeah. How accurate do you think they were with like- Actually, I was, I was very impressed with what they did. It, it, they, they really did their homework on it. Like how they sneak in, how they cover their footprints, what they look for when they're tracking and stuff. Mm. And I was very impressed with the whole thing. It was, it was, right. it was really well-researched, you know? Yeah, well, I guess they have like actual investigators consulting. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. And, and then as time would go along, because some of the people in the business knew that I was an investigator, I get called on to kind of be like a consultant or actually right. be on a film. And 
I had a cool experience. Uh, I had a friend, his name was Paul, and he called me one day and he's like, bro, I need your help. I need your help. I need you to bail me out. I'm in trouble. And I'm like, oh, well, you bail you out. And then he's like, I'm working on this film. And he told me the film and he's like, I need, can you play an investigator? Because they want me to help set up the scene and stuff. So I went to the, he, I said, yes, I can. He was so excited. I need you here tomorrow on set at five, gave me the directions and everything. So I go there, they're filming in this kind of like a really nice sweet house. And I walk in there and I'm just kind of standing around and the director's kind of walking around and he's just kind of got this ho-hum attitude. And I think they were just having a hard time trying to get things together. It was kind of a, 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 low bu a lower budget movie, but they had some good people working on that. I got to work with that. What's his name? I don't know. Something Carol Lynch. He's a big guy. He's working. I've on heard that name. Yeah, John, yeah. John Carol Lynch, I think was on that and Olivia Thursby and Jennifer Beals and some other well-known actors. And I got there and then finally I'm kind of just kicking back and then Paul comes up to me and he's like, I'm going to go get these boxes and you need to look at them. So I'm just kind of chilling out. You know, we get the wardrobe on, they pull my hair back, give me a fake badge and I bring my own gear. Like, what do you wear as an investigator? So I'm just going to bring what I wear, you know? So I got there and they look at my stuff. So they change some things out. And then he comes up to me. Then finally, Paul gets these two investigative kits, throws them on the kitchen table in there. And then the director just comes right up to me, kind of in my face. And he's like, well, I hear that you think you know something about investigation, you know? <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, well, I was an investigator for over 20 years. So I think I do know something about investigation. He goes, well, you're going to have to show that to me. And I said, okay, what do you, you know? He was kind of challenging me and he kind of yeah. was in my face and he kind of yeah. had this attitude like, hey, I'm the director, you know, you must be, <laughs> yeah. they're going to drag you out, you know? I was kind of like, I wasn't intimidated. He challenged me. So I was kind of like, bring it on, man. You know, Yeah. you're going to get in my face. Yeah. You better get ready for some return. Yeah. You know? yeah. So that, that kind of pushed you to do it even more, kind of. Yeah. Well, yeah. he kind of pissed me off, you know? Yeah. I'm, you know, I was like, dude, you can ask. You don't have to be a jerk. But, of course, I'm not going to say that to the director because then I get a one-way ticket out. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think kinda... a, lot, a lot of directors seem to be – well, I guess it's a mixed bag. But, uh, but I guess yeah. that's kind of a cliche that the director's a dick, right? The... Well, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, well, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, not, it's not just a cliche, but, you know, we have no yeah. idea what kind of pressure they're under. So I'm going to yeah. kind of give them a way out. Personally, I wouldn't want to be a director. Yeah, um, well, you, well, you got a lot of, yeah, I guess it's hard to kind of yeah. talk to everybody. and Yeah. Get so, to, yeah. so they throw these investigation kits down and he goes, well, show me something. So I pop them open. I look at them and I'm like, well, this is an investigator's kit. I said, I don't know who used it. They made a mess out of it. I said, but if you'll give me a second, I can actually reorganize everything. And he's like, what's this for? And I'm like, dude, chill out. Let me get this thing together. Then I'll give you a demonstration, you know? It was my turn to kind of, you know, chill out. You know, give me some time to get this thing together, you know? So I started doing everything and he was watching me and I could just tell like, he was like, oh my God, this, this guy isn't bullshit, right? 
So yeah. I got it all together and stuff. And I said, okay, there it is. I said, some things are missing, but for the most part, I have gotten these two kits together. He goes, well, what's this for? And I go, oh, that's cool. This is how you use this. And he's like, son of a bitch. He's like, wow. He goes, wow. And he, he says, well, can you make these actors look like their real investigators? Can you make them look like what they're doing? I said, yes, I can. If you let me do my job. Let me do this job. You're the director, but let me do this job. If they do what I tell them to do, they're going to look good. And I did. The whole thing happened. And I, my, my, our scene actually made the cut in the movie. So it wasn't too bad. It was just kind of like a flash in the pot. But still, yeah, you know, when you work as an actor, sometimes you can just bust your butt to get something going. It might be even a challenge for you. You might think you've done your best work. And then when you finally get to see the movie, you go, oh, shit, what happened to that scene, right? <laughs> so when you work on stuff, a lot of the time, you don't really know what's going to get in the cut. You know, you just get out there and you just do the best job you can and try to show them that, you know, they picked the right man for yeah. the job. So uh, any final thoughts or anything you'd like to say before we wrap up? No, not, not really. I thank you very much for even wanting to do an interview with me. I, I appreciate it. Um, oh, yeah. 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 I think this, yeah, it was a cool, we got into a lot of interesting topics. So, uh. <laughs> Although I would like to say something to all the people out there that are going to watch this. I just want to say to the people around the world and whatnot that, uh, my heart goes out to the people that have lost people to COVID and not just COVID, just to lose anybody in your life. You know, yeah. we are going through horrific times. Everything's turned upside down. Uh, just do your best to live and walk your life in a good way. And I'm very sorry for the people that has, that have lost loved ones, my sincere condolences and, my sincere prayers that you'll be able to find that strength to move on, you know? Yeah. And like, and like I said, like, I, I know some people who aren't taking it seriously, but I guess until, yeah, that, but, uh, but I guess like until people see it up close or whatever, they sometimes they, they don't know like the reality. Cause like that, like, I think I told you that before, like, cause we talked on the phone before this, like I said, well, I knew some people that weren't taking the virus so seriously. And you said, well, those are obviously people like that haven't lost anyone yeah anything. yeah well i know people that didn't take it seriously then they caught it and almost died and when they came back they were just like boy yeah. was i the horse's ass or what you know this stuff is serious you know yeah well because i feel like i feel like <laughs> unless you experience something like firsthand and it's in the news it's just kind of there's kind of a distance like oh it's just like the news but it's yeah like my life but then once it hits you then it's like okay this is <clears throat> you know i I think about that on a daily basis, you know? I live in, I live in the United States. I, I, I live in either New York City or in Towels, Mesa. I wake up in the morning and I get to get up and I get to see the sun come up and make coffee and live a relatively peaceful, non-threatening existence. And across the country in, in uh, the Middle East or something, people are waking up to their bombs their, to, to yeah. bomb explosions and their houses getting rocked and 
you know, we, if you don't live in that, if you don't live in that kind of an environment, man, just count yourself as blessed, you know? Yeah. Seriously. I mean, we could be living, you could have been born somewhere else, yeah. but for some reason we're here and, and yeah. that in itself is a blessing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a good note to end on. So uh, right. thanks, thanks for coming on, man. Thank, good you, thank you, man. Thank you. Oh, where, where do people keep updated? Like site, website, anything? Well, I'm on Facebook. Um, right now I've kind of just frozen. I do have a new, um, a new website and it's actorallentafoya.com, but there's nothing happening. And um, I'm up, I'm, I'm attached to, to several films and stuff. I just spoke with a producer last night and I said, you know, lately I've just been feeling so frustrated with the business. I kind of just wanted to walk away from it. I was so angry yesterday. I told my wife, oh, the hell with the movie business. And I'm just going to get into music. And, and then I get this incredible message from one of my agents. I mean, he had no clue that I was feeling this way. And oh, my God, the creator works in mysterious ways. All righty, all righty. That was my interview or a conversation slash interview with Alan Tafoya. And like I said, he's an interesting guy. He's lots of interests, lots of different lines of work he's done, and lots of interesting stories he has to tell about his life. But uh, it was hard to get in one episode, you know, unless I wanted to make it like a 20-hour epic of Alan Tafoya. But... May, I'll, I'll bring him on again and we'll get into some of that other stuff. So it was I, I had to narrow it down a bit and cut it down to an hour. But um, yeah, the guy's done a lot of stuff. And if you want to keep updated with more conversations with more interesting people like Alan, subscribe to BSing with Sean K on Spotify. Subscribe to me on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's also the YouTube channel for BSing with Sean K. And there's if you're not already watching this on YouTube... And you're just listening. There's there's also the video of the interview with Alan and the video of the interview with the last two guests. Before that, I just did like slideshows with pictures. But all most of my BSing episodes are on my YouTube channel. And um, but more recently, I've been putting the actual videos because I've been doing over Zoom and recording it that way. But um, anyway, yes, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, keep updated. Like my page on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter, BSing with Sean K, Instagram, S-K-N-E-E-S-E-1989. And I'll catch you on episode 124. Have a good day or night. What? BSing with Sean.